We are now in Revelations 2.21, but we need to review verse 20 because it's connected and we may have forgotten some things. The Lord had against the church of Thyatira that they put up with this Jezebel woman. She was a self-proclaimed prophetess and teacher. This was most likely not her personal name. Jezebel was a symbol of all false religion. She instigated, to a great degree, Ahab to come against the true worship of God. And remember, two sets of prophets ahead the caves from her because he was seeking to kill them. The temple worship was ceased. So she was a worshiper of Baal, a Phoenician, basically. They were descendants to a degree of, some people believe, from Cleopatra in Egypt. It was the same type of religion. So we notice here uh, what the Lord has against her was she was teaching and taught his bondservants in immorality, uh, that is socializing and eating foods that were offered to idols. First of all, the Lord says, my bondservants. In the churches, he calls them mainly his bondservants. He doesn't call them children of God, sons and daughters. Why? Because he's emphasizing their duty and their works before God, not what they claim to be. You'll always find, as we've said before, God's judgments are always on a person's works, not on what they believe. Because truly, if they believe, the word believe often is can be translated obeying. Hebrews does. It interchanges them. So you believe to obey. God is only interested in the end result. Not those who claim things, but those who practice serving him. So this negates most of the false Calvinistic type movements and even Catholicism that thinks simply because you have a mental a set of who Christ is that will save you. It will not. As we said, multitudes of millions will say, Lord, Lord, and believe he died on the cross. And yet Jesus will say, I never knew you. You were lawless and wicked and cursed of my father. They will stand speechless, many of them. They will be totally deceived until the day of judgment. At the day of judgment or the time that people are judged, The flesh cannot deceive them. The devil cannot deceive them. So they will see the truth. Every person will acknowledge that Jesus is the Lord. Philippians says that every tongue shall confess. Every knee shall bow. It doesn't say they're going to be saved. It means they will acknowledge who he is and they will know the truth of the matter. There will not be anyone in hell or the lake of fire, who's going to wonder how they got there? They're going to know the facts and acknowledge them. They can deceive themselves here, and the devil's powers can deceive them, but not on judgment day, not when they're called before the Lord. He'll see that they know the truth, whether they want to hear it or not. So his bond servants. They offered or were mingling with other religions and fellowshipping with them, basically what they were doing. It was different than Paul saying if they were forced to meet with governmental leaders, 
they were to eat what was set before them and pray over it, and it was sanctified. Because all of the Roman world worshipped other gods. So he said you could do that if the government, but if they brought attention to it, you were not to eat it. But these people were willfully fellowshipping with idol worships, which the scripture warns us what fellowship has light with darkness. If they do this, then they regress. This is a sure sign of backsliding when the so-called Christian mingles too much with the world, fellowships with the world, likes the world's system, then they're not the Lord's or they're not his anymore. Okay? And so we see then this word of fornication doesn't just have to do with physical sex. This fornication and adultery was more spiritual than physical. True idolatry is like fornication and adultery, where that's earthly in between a man and a woman outside of marriage or against non-married people or something. But this is against the Lord. So it's a spiritual side. This is what provoked the Lord and what he had against them mainly, because we're supposed to be the bride of Christ. We're not supposed to be mingling or having affairs with the world. This is what he was talking about. And uh, idolatry and covetousness. See, covetousness was used too because it makes us a friend of the world. We fellowship with the enemy. James, remember he states this fact in chapter 4 and verse 4. He calls them, some of them, adulterers. They ask it and don't receive because they're seeking for materialism. They're seeking for the things in this world that God's not interested in and calls them adulterous. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Okay, that's very plain. Whosoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. And then the next verse says that uh, the spirit in us is very jealous. God's name, one of his names is jealous. He did not permit idolatry. He did not permit a mingling and worshiping other of the gods. That would provoke him. It seems like the children of Israel, when they committed physical fornication or idolatry, those would provoke the Lord to judge them outwardly more swiftly than other sins. So we have to understand here he's mainly talking about their spiritual law. They love the world. They're mingling with the world. This was the sin of Balaam, as one of, he said to a previous church. Balaam counseled them because God favored them, but he said, if they mingle with your sons and daughters and learn their ways, then the Lord will reject them. See, because they would go into idolatry. And this is why Balaam was killed. When the Israelites took over that area, the scripture specifically says they put to death Balaam. He was covetous. He wanted money and power more than obeying God. He was called a Gentile prophet. A lot of people think he was a false prophet his whole time. Scripture doesn't say that. He calls Jehovah his God. And he obeyed him until a certain time when he started to become covetous. And he wanted to alter God's word so he could get some money. Doesn't that sound familiar? And the angel of the Lord told him he would only prophesy what God gave him. And 
the angel with the sword made sure he did this. He was threatened. And he even told the king Balak, I told you I cannot go beyond the word of the Lord, whatever he gives me. Well, that was why he knew the angel of the Lord would kill him. And so even in his false state and unrepentant state, later on, he finds another way to counsel them for evil. He did not repent of it. So then he was false before the Lord. Okay, we see in verse 21, this woman Jezebel, as we found out, she was most likely a teacher. In some translations, when it says he has this against you, this woman Jezebel, in some translations says thy wife Jezebel. It is believed that to a degree she was the overseer's wife or she had a great power and was married to someone very influential. So anyway, she called herself a prophetess. The scripture doesn't. As I've said before, no one of the fivefold ministries is acknowledged as being an apostle, a prophet, or evangelist who is a woman. It's contrary to what people teach today, but they're in error. Scripture says it's a shame when the women rule over you and children oppress you. So I don't care what people do. God hasn't changed the way they're there to work. The woman has a certain role, and it's not leading and rebuking and correcting men. A meek and quiet spirit, it says, is precious in the Lord's eyes. Men can rebuke, admonish, and do things that God does not permit the woman to do. So they need to understand this. But in our democracy, everybody's equal. Well, when they stand before the Lord, they're going to find out differently. I don't know if it'll cost them their souls, but it'll sure cost them their standing in heaven because it's disobedient to Scripture. Paul, when he says, I don't suffer a woman in the large assemblies to speak, it's implied that they may have brought forth a message of prophecy, but that's at the most. But usually that was in the smaller groups. And even then, they had to have their heads covered to show that they were under submission to their husbands. Isn't that interesting? And as soon as Paul states this, there's lots of excuses. Well, the women sat here, and they were over there. That ain't what the Scripture says. Paul says, I'm telling you, if you think you're spiritual, or you think you're a prophet, he doesn't say prophetess, he said, let you be known that what I've told you is the commandments of the Lord. He didn't give it as an opinion or an option. He said it's the commandment of the Lord. So people who want to rebel against the Lord, we know the consequences of that. So Christ gave her time to repent. This is amazing. The law did not. For idol worshipers, God had them taken out immediately and stoned to death. They weren't told to convert or change it was instant judgment once it was found out in the community. But the amazing thing is the Lord gave her time. Here she is, a false teacher. She's a false teacher, and she deceives people to fall away. We would think, well, why would the Lord permit this? Well, first of all, we'll see in Second Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promises, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, 
not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That is a direct conflict to the ultra-Calvinistic way of teaching, which says, and that's most of Lutheranism and Baptists, and uh, I call them what they are. They're just as bad as some of the Catholics. They've altered the word of God for their own traditions. But the Lord hasn't changed his mind. There is no predestination election for individuals. So they take two or three scriptures and they build everything on it when they have at least a hundred, the direct conflict by interpreting that way. It's the ship. It's the train that is predestined that is elected. You get on the ship of faith, or you can get off if you want to, but that ship is going somewhere. The gates of hell shall now provide against the faithful. Not those who profess the Lord, not those who once followed the Lord, because the scripture teaches those branches will be cut off that do not continue to bear fruit. Jesus said, every branch in me, they were saved. But they only endured a little while, and they did not take the Lord's warning to get grounded, and so they fell away later under a tribulation, we will see. So God desires that everyone repents. Under the old and the new, God makes provision for repentance. Under the old, for a Gentile or a Jew. Under the new, for the Christian or non-Christian, He wishes them to repent. It's a part of his overall goodwill when he says, for God so loved the world. The world is the world of wicked people, the world of everybody. And so it's his will that they repent. It means to turn around, to stop the gross sinning. People don't like to use that word because they're false shepherds. You'll always find this. Jesus, before he basically preached anything else, his worst words were repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. He didn't say believe in me. He said repent. When he commissioned Paul, he told him to preach repentance and remission of sins. So they were a quality. A person confessing Jesus, if he does not repent, it's vain. They're giving the Lord lip service, and it will not accomplish anything. Because true confession means you repent. That's what it means. You turn to the Lord. Just acknowledging who Jesus is. Well, the scripture says the devils believe that and tremble. Uh, It doesn't save them, though they have the facts. They know, as they said to Jesus, we know you're the Holy One of Israel. Have you come to torment us before the proper time? Uh, They didn't know the facts. But they were afraid that Jesus would cast them out and send them to hell. But they knew there was a point in time that they were to be sent there once Satan was defeated in the period of 40 days of temptation. Jesus overcame him, and then he had power over all spirits. And they understood that. People don't understand it, but they were terrorized in Jesus' presence because they believed uh, he had the right to send them to hell right then. And they were afraid and terrorized of them. So they know facts. They know who Jesus is to a great degree. They know the scripture. They're deceived in other things. But the scripture says even Satan, even the devil in Revelation, it says he knows this time is short. 
He's not deceived about that. He knows that one day, no matter what he does, he's going to be ended up in the lake of fire. That judgment has been pronounced. The sentence has not been carried out. He was judged when Jesus said it was finished on the cross. But the sentence has not been carried out. God still uses his wickedness and his economy to accomplish his purpose. He lets the devil sift and test the saints and to prove their loyalty to the Lord. Okay. So here we see the long suffering of the Lord, but she spurned the grace of God and refused to repent and continued in her sins. The word reveals why Christ allowed her to keep going on for a while. The reason was she was used as a false teacher to test those who were true Christians, to test the young and the Lord who were supposed to be maturing, to find out if they had any root in them. If they don't take the warnings of Scripture to mature after a certain time, they play with sin and it deceives them. So that's why he allows factions and railings and heresies. Let's go to this scripture. And if people understand it, it makes a lot of sense. First Corinthians 11.19. For there must also be factions, it says. But actually the right word is heretics. Some say divisive. But heretic has to do with adding and taking from the word of God. A divisive person can just be a person who loves to argue and debate you. The heresy word is more schismatic. It tells you what they were. He said, therefore, there must be heresies among you. So she's among those who claim to be Christians. That those who are approved may be recognized among you. If you know the scripture and the word, you will begin to recognize the false teacher. The false teacher often crept in as a wall, or it was a true Christian who fell away and got caught up in false teaching. So God permits this everywhere. A Christian has to be tested, has to be sifted. That's God's way. We are under probation in this life, and we must be faithful and not deceived by false teachings and heresies. So those who are faithful would see it and stay with Christ and his word. This is why, as we say, most have to be, I should say all, tested concerning these teachings and stuff. If you know the word of God, you can spot heresy. You don't have to study, spend a long lifetime studying false cults. A false cults, if you know scripture, you'll be able to refute it and understand it. And so uh, stand firm in the Lord He and progress and bear fruit or be cut off from the branch or the vine. This is what he's talking about. When the Father cuts a branch off of the vine of Christ, they're cut off from grace. They once had grace. They once had the life of Christ. But there comes a time the Lord's patience runs out with them. He gives them time to repent, and we see his way is repent quickly. He don't wait years for people. He deals with them immediately if they're confess if they're true Christians. 
He w- deals with the world a different way and sometimes a backslider. But they're still destroyed spiritually. He doesn't allow them to live in gross sin and remain a Christian. This does not happen. This is a fallacy and false teaching of the church. There has to be. The church at this time and during Paul's time did not tolerate a gross sinner. They went to him. They confronted him. They made sure he understood about repentance. And if he didn't repent after a few warnings, he was thrown out. He was counted as a heathen. And he was counted as a non-Christian. He was called wicked. So they didn't put up with this as they do today. Today, the feeling is just love them and tolerate them and judge not. That's a false church. They are false to Christ. By allowing that, they make the church unholy. The one bad apple can affect a lot that goes on. Okay? So we see verse 2. Because she doesn't repent of this idolatry, this mixing and teaching these things, behold, I will throw her on a bed of sickness, and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation, unless they repent of their works. So we see he takes this serious. It's implied he will chasten with disease, and given her an opportunity, still, as the Corinthians were turned over to the devil, to repent. If they didn't repent, they died and went to hell. They could not be the Lord's without repentance. Hebrews says the chase of the Lord is grievous, but it produces to those who listen to it holiness. Holiness is practical righteousness. It means you stop sinning. That's exactly what it means. And he says, for without holiness, no man shall see the Lord. So that was the reason that Paul turned some of the rich Corinthians over to the devil in hopes that they would repent. If they did not repent and turn to the Lord, they died in that state without the Lord. Churches should be teaching this, but they don't because they don't want to scare people. Isn't that a shame? Well, the fact is the majority of mankind is going to hell. And occasionally they should be told and warned where they're going. So it's better that you scare them now than when they die. It's too late to be scared. So that's why Scripture says, knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. We know what's going to happen to them, so when given the opportunity, we try to warn them. Turn to the Lord, because if you don't, there is a consequence. But people harden themselves, and they don't want to hear judgment and sin and wrath, and we're told to leave them alone after a while. You stop threatening. It's the truth, but you don't try to keep scaring people if they don't want to serve the Lord. That's why a lot of people think they can get saved in the last five minutes after they've lived their whole life and not taken up the cross. That's another fallacy. These ministers are trying to beg people to get saved on their deathbed. This is foolishness. God isn't wasting time with them, especially when they've spent years rejecting the gospel. That might be the case with some that haven't heard the gospel and live in an area where the gospel's not known. God might be more patient with them, but he will not be with those who've had plenty of light. We have more scripture than Paul had. We have more scripture than Peter had. 
Remember John and the Gospel and Revelations and First John? They weren't written until 20-some years after Peter and Paul were put to death. So you think we're going to be excused? No, we're not. We're going to be held more accountable because more light has been available to us. Did you know the Bible is still the most sold book in the world? They make a couple of billion a year worldwide selling Bibles. Probably it is the most one that's least read and understood. See, it's an outward form of religion, and it's not going to get people anywhere, okay? So she did not want to repent, and so the Lord's going to do something else. And when he throws her into bed of sickness, it's applied here, disease that may be the form to punish her and spiritually destroy her, that it did not work because she did not repent. And so he's given her and the church the opportunity, a great tribulation from the enemy, from God himself. It says, unless they repent of her works. So the false teacher and the people who follow them are damned if they don't turn to the Lord. Jesus said, the blind lead the blind, and you leave them alone, for they're both fall in the ditch. He does not excuse them and say, oh, they're deceived because they have a false, they have a false teacher because they don't follow the Lord and that's what they deserve. As someone said a long time ago, if you have a good mother and you don't treat her right, then you deserve a bad stepmother and she'll treat you right, won't she? So that's sort of the way it is. So we see now in verse 23, I will kill her children with pestilence. Uh, he's now talking about spiritual death, and all the churches will know that I am he who searches the mind and heart. And notice, I will give to each one of you according to your works, not according to your belief. So all of these people still believed they were Christians. They were not. Many had fallen away. Many had believed in false heresies. They were still gathering together and, and thinking they were Christians. But he said they weren't. They believed that Jesus was the Christ to a degree, along with the other heresies. Constantine made the whole Roman Empire Christian. They weren't real Christians. They all acknowledged Jesus as the Lord, and they didn't repent of their idolatry. The world thinks, oh, that's when Christianity took. It wasn't Christianity. It was false Christianity. And see, that's what we see that a majority of them say, oh, yeah, we're a Christian now. But they didn't give up their idolatry. They weren't real Christians. They gave mental assent to some forms of Christianity. So, see, we need to understand that. So he talked of killing more likely with disease and spiritual destruction. When Jude and Peter speak of swift destruction coming on people, he's talking about spiritual destruction. He's not talking about God striking them dead with lightning, okay? See, they're cut off from the branch if they were in it. And when he does it, it's instant. One moment they were Christians and the next they were not, okay? But he says the other churches will learn from this and they will know that he knows their mind, their spirit, and everything that they do, and he will repay them. This is the reaping of what you sow. He will give them according to their works. Again, not their beliefs. 
If your beliefs are proper, your works are proper. Your belief is wrong, your works is unacceptable. Okay? The branch that does not produce moral uprightness will be cut off from Christ. So you can tell any person who claims to be a Christian that if they're living in adultery or fornication, they're having an affair, you can reject their Christianity. You don't have to accept them as a Christian. You're supposed to separate from them if they claim to be Christians. If they claim to, oh, I used to deal a lot with these people over the phone. They could quote a lot of scripture. They're trying to convince me that they were still saved while they're living in fornication. And I'm not talking about a one-time act. I'm talking about months. In some cases, a couple of years. And they still, well, Jesus is my Lord, but he's just not on the throne. That's because he's not your Lord. You're deceived. You have been cut off by your iniquity. Okay? So we see this, that holiness is moral uprighteousness. If you're involved with sexual sins with anyone outside of marriage, you will be cut off and God won't waste a lot of time doing it. See, this is a fallacy, as if God's going to put up with it for five and ten. There's no such teaching in Scripture. Jesus says, repent quickly. That You know what that means, don't you? It means don't waste no time getting right because you don't know what a day may bring or if the Lord decides that he's not going to mess with you anymore. That is his right. Hebrews 12, pursue peace with all men and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Okay, another scripture, looking diligently. Seriously, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. It means they don't finish the race. They don't finish the life of Christ. They don't endure to the end. So he's warning you what's going to happen. Uh, you can understand why this refutes so much of this faith alone. You can see why Martin Luther didn't consider the book of Revelations, as I've said before, he didn't consider the book of Peter or Hebrew scripture because it refutes his nonsense. Because he went too far, he thought he was correcting heresies and he just brought a, another heresy about. Okay, verse 24. But I say to you, the rest who are in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who have not known the depths of Satan, as they called them, I place no other burden on you. So he says to Thyatira that all have not fallen into the false teaching. As we said with Paul with the Corinthians, he's speaking in different segments of each church. Some of them have fallen away, were dead, some had remained faithful. So the message is not for every individual. If they fit into the category, then it's for them. Okay? And so we see when a person preaches and teaches under the anointing, if you have 10, 20, 30 people there, one will be convicted, one will be edified. Each one, according to where they're at spiritually, will receive a different thing from them. Some will be warned. Some will be admonished. Some will even be encouraged. See, it depends on where you're at. That's called, at times, prophecy. It's profitable for everybody. See, the Spirit of God knows the individual, and he uses the word 
And he zeroes in on certain people for certain things. And so this is what Christ is doing to the churches. So he says, I say to you that have not fallen into this false teaching, I will put no more on you. Okay, that's good. He's not going to put any burden because they don't need it. The ones that are faithful don't need any other burdens on them. The ones who aren't, they need them. Okay, so the false teaching was enough to be dealt with. We see that the Lord's rebuke to the church did not apply to everyone. Remember this. The same, as we've said, the apostles' rebukes to the Corinthian church did not apply to everyone. We see with him, with Paul, some were encouraged. Some were told they probably were disqualified from Christianity. Some he was going to turn over to Satan. Depends on which category they were in. So he said, you who have not known the depths of Satan. The Gnostic teachings thought that the teachings were deep things that only a few could understand. The Lord instead called them the depths, instead of depths of God, he called them the depths of Satan. Even the false teachers are often deceived by their teaching. All false teachers are not con artists. Oh, we have them today. They just use religion. They no more half believe what they're talking about, but they can make money and they become popular by coming up with these things for people. So they will receive the greater damnation because they know what they're doing more. The one deceived will receive the lesser damnation, but they can both get damnation, so you don't want to be a false teacher. So the blind lead the blind, the teacher and the follower is deceived. And he also said, as I say often, as foreign to people, he said, leave them alone. He didn't say keep trying to witness to these people and talk to them. Actually, Paul said after the second warning, he called the heretics, he said you're to reject them, have nothing to do with them, shun them. Oh, people say, oh, you can't do that. You don't want to scare them away. Well, of course you do. If they're not going to serve the Lord, get out. That's what God thinks. He does not like a two-faced person. We're going to find out one of the churches he didn't like double-minded and lukewarmness. He deals with it. So this is the situation we have to deal with. Okay? Uh, He says reject them, shun them. It meant to have nothing to do with them. You don't waste your time casting pearls before swine. Their own conscience and things they hear can enlighten them But eventually they harden themselves, and the Spirit doesn't always strive with a wicked person. Okay? So we see in Titus 3.10, For there are many rebellious and idle talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision. So they were still having the problem with what we would call some were Judaizers, some were Jews who was trying to straighten them out. Uh, They didn't believe these things, and they crept in as wolves, and they created havoc. But remember, everyone that's deceived is accountable himself. People not going to blame the teacher. Often the teacher is sent because they they don't want the truth, so they're sent a lying spirit to draw out of them 
and to get the truth from him. That's what God's intentions are. And as I've said before, there are usually only two reasons a person is deceived on these matters. Number one, he does not want the truth. Okay, Jesus said that at his opening statements. He said, men love darkness rather than light, and they will not come to the truth lest their deeds be exposed. So he's already stated that mankind as a whole doesn't even want to come to the light. They're like a roach. Anytime they see a light turn on, they run. The Christian is to be like a moth. When he sees the light, he comes to the light. And he says they have the capability to do this. They can make decisions one way or the other. And the other way people are deceived, they're practicing gross sin and they refuse to repent. We need to understand this. Let's go ahead and take a break here. 